and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. This is a podcast in which we interview expert leaders around the country on best practices for healing our national healthcare system and culture of medicine. Today, I want to extend a warm welcome to Ryan Wolf. Ryan is a well-being consultant for Gallup Clients and Associates. He leads Gallup's health and well-being strategies through partnerships with its research team, business channels, benefits department, consulting practice, and external medical and wellness partners. His solutions and initiatives serve Gallup clients, associates, and family members. He is also an author, speaker, presenting research and technical advice to enhance well-being within organizations and the public. He is also currently pursuing his education doctorate in education and leadership. Well, welcome, Ryan, and thank you so much for being here today. We're really excited. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Well, likewise, Katie, thanks a lot for inviting me and super fun to be here uh, for first part of the year. So definitely energized by uh, by this conversation. Absolutely. Oh, and Happy New Year, everyone. Right. Hope, hope it's off to a good start. Um, well, Brian, can you tell our audience a little bit more about your background and how you became interested in employee and organizational well-being? You bet. So I'm just a kid from Lincoln, Nebraska, which mm-hmm. is the college town in uh, in the state of Nebraska. So grew up grew up there. I currently live in Omaha, which is where our operations headquarters is for Gallup. And that that's where we have about six or seven hundred full-time employees who I, I get to partner with each and every day. So, so love living in Nebraska, right in the middle of, uh, of the state. And, and Katie, I know you're from, from Iowa. So we've got that Midwest bond that we can share here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and so I got my undergraduate degree at, uh, at the university of Nebraska and right out of the gate started working at Gallup. And I actually started working uh, as a part-time employee for Gallup in Lincoln when I was 16 years old. I was a, what I uh, what they called a consumer interviewer. So part-time, I would go into our call center and I'd dial all around the United States and I'd ask respondents uh, questions about things like political polling, like who, who are you going to vote for? That used to be a big part of our uh, our polling practice, um, kind of predicting who is going to win the win the U.S. presidency. And then, but we'd ask a lot of other questions too, um, customer satisfaction questions, things like that. So I, you know, from an early age, got a taste of kind of what the Gallup culture and strengths culture and having a really good manager was all about. So when the opportunity presented itself right out of, right out of um, undergrad, I, I started working at Gallup in our fitness center as a health and wellness coach for Gallup employees. Mm-hmm. So it was a great career for someone who's youngster. I had an uh, exercise science undergrad degree. So that was kind of my background was, was kind of uh, 
just that whole that whole realm of how how do we um, kind of improve our, our our physical selves in a way that can uh, enhance everything else that is important in our lives, our relationships, and and our work, and um, kind of our sense of community and purpose. So, so that was my start, and I think my love and um, for. I guess my love and curiosity, we'll say, for organizational well-being has just, uh, I don't think there was an aha moment, but a really slow blossoming of just realizing how important uh, well-being can be and and is for an organization and for all of its constituents and stakeholders. And and I've just kind of slowly learned uh, how how significant well-being is for managers to really lead and to to support and uh, I've, I've just got a lot of thoughts on that I guess but um, I don't want this to turn into a, a TED talk so I, I think yeah. I've answered the I think I've answered the first question in a really roundabout and uh, methodical yeah. way but um, but yeah that's that's kind of a little background on on who I am okay well and, you know, it's interesting that you said it was sort of a slower kind of organic process for you to become interested in, in well-being in the workplace. And I think that happens for a lot of us. I know that happened for me, too. And I happened to stumble upon, you know, organizational well-being in healthcare and, and several years ago and was just excited that this was actually happening and slowly kind of getting into the field. So I appreciate that. And I know that you're a really deep thinker and uh, have a lot of insight today. So the next question I have for you is, you know, why it's really important to understand your strengths in order to have an intentional and successful life and career. Like why, why are we even talking about this today? Yeah. Strengths. So, okay. So if, if nobody, or if you're not really fully aware of you know, Gallup, Clifton Strengths Finder, I can just give a quick background, um, yeah. so then I can help explain why it's important. So, so Clifton Strengths was created by Don Clifton, and he was a founder of our organization, Gallup. Um, um, he started SRI Selection Research Incorporated in Lincoln in the in the 1980s. He was a professor at the University of Nebraska, and then then we acquired uh, a Gallup in in the late 1980s. So he was super interested in not what was wrong with people, but what was right with people, and that was kind of against the grain for academics in um, in, in kind of the mid to to late. 20th century um, in, in that kind of in, in that sphere of studying psychology and um, kind of identifying um, solutions and initiatives we'll say so his his big deal uh, and he, what he was super interested in was what uh, what makes people right so he underwent a really big project to answer that question and he identified really successful people inside really successful organizations and ask them hundreds of questions about um, what um, what kind of and it really tr to try to identify what differentiated them between those who weren't successful and the the manifestation of that that big process of asking all those all those questions was the Clifton Strengths. There's 34 themes of strengths, and um, 
there are four kind of domains of mm -hmm. strengths and uh, there's there's strategic thinking there's mm -hmm. influencing themes there's relationship building themes and there's executing themes and all of us i guess really if you think about strengths it um we can kind of start with natural tendencies and really when you think about that it's kind of talent so talent mm -hmm. is really we we like to say talent is very uh, evenly distributed. Everyone has talent. We're all born with something that is really unique about us that we're really good at. And um, but but that's just kind of the starting point for strengths. In order to really, uh, in in order to make that talent a strength, we need to add some knowledge and skill and repetition to it. And um, so so. So I think that you know, the Clifton Strengths Finder kind of helps identify what naturally we're, we can be good at. And then once we have kind of your top 10 or your top five themes from from the assessment, then then we can identify how we can apply it to to the work that we do each and every day. And um, I'm just trying to get back to your original question. Why why is it so important? I think, you know, with with strengths, we think about ease, excellence, and enjoyment, what you do really well, what you do with excellence, what you do that, that comes easy to you. And that's really what I think about and what we tend to think about when we think about what our strengths are and not trying to, to do certain tasks in a way that someone else does them in an excellent way, but thinking about how you can do it in an excellent way that can get a similar excellent result uh -huh. so that's yeah that's that's kind of uh, I, I think uh, you know what why um i kind of covering all my bases here in terms of of strengths and just one response but mm -hmm. you know i there's uh getting back to the original research question is w what's um what's right with people and not what's wrong with people i love that yeah that really helps us think about our life and our work in a way that's you know a, a you know, positive lens and and not in a way that kind of tries to mend what we're what what we consider our weaknesses but really uh, identifying what we're good at and that's that's our 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 best way to have kind of exponential success in life and so in our culture of medicine, you know, we're really, we focus on our weaknesses. So when I was in medical school and residency training, it was common to, for attendings and faculty to point out what I wasn't doing well mm -hmm. and not really focus on what I was really good at, but to focus on what I wasn't doing and to learn from that. And so I was constantly writing down what I wasn't doing. Can you talk a little bit about how, when you focus on the weakness aspect of training versus strength-based training, how can you talk a little bit about that differential? Yeah, definitely. So, so we certainly don't want don't want to ignore weaknesses or ignore kind of the shortcomings that we we know that we have or that we can identify with. So ignoring them is not the solution, um, <laughs> but being aware of them is, and mm -hmm. then also being able to have a a comfortable conversation with our manager or a direct report about what those might be and how we can mitigate them through the things that we're really good at. 
so one one you know a simple way of of and but simple but not realistic way of doing that is by eliminating all the things that you're bad at within your job and giving them to someone else. Um, <laughs> that would be, you know, that would be ideal, but not always realistic because we, we, there's just things about what we do and our expectations at work that, um, that we just can't avoid. But when we can focus on and understand what we're really good at, then, then we can mitigate those, those blind spots or those weak areas and be able to thrive in those those spots that uh, that that we're really good at that um, naturally we have these tendencies and then we were upskilled and we have this knowledge in order to apply it in a way that's productive yeah absolutely well and i you know it was a new approach and a new way of thinking about things for me when i hired my executive coach dr elsie co a couple of years ago and you know, she was like, let's focus on your strengths. Have you even done the, the cliff strength finder test? And I said, what? No, I've heard of Gallup, but I have never done that before. And she said, well, that's basic. So you got to start there. So, you know, we did that. And then we started focusing on my strengths and it really made a difference, Ryan, for me, because, you know, I, I'm going to share my, my strengths. <clears throat> Number one is achiever. Number two is strategic. Number three is responsibility. Number four is individualization. And number five is positivity. So for all of you listening, if you take the test, you get a printout of your top five strengths and really your top 10. And then it goes into detail about your weaknesses as well. And when you know that, I, I realized that, you know, integrity and honesty was high on my list too. And that I kept putting myself in environments that weren't in alignment with my strengths. And I kept putting myself in leadership position roles that were not, did not allow me to have the creativity to be as strategic as I am. So it was underutilizing my talents. And that's why I was frustrated. And that contributed to burnout for me. So I just wanted to share that. And uh, it's really been life altering for me, which is why I'm really passionate about this discussion today. Nice. I love it. So thank you for sharing your top five. That's beautiful. I, if you do the math though, so there's 34 themes and we all have a top five. So every, everyone gets one. There's a one in 33 million chance that you have the same top five as someone else. Whoa. I had no yeah. idea. One in 33 million. Yeah. Yeah. Currently there's, there's been only 28 million people who have taken the Clifton Strengths Finder. So there's a pretty good chance that nobody else has discovered the same top five as you. Of course, we know there's, you know, several more billion people within the world, but the, the, the really unique thing I think about that is there's this promise for, from Clifton Strengths that there's something in this world that you can do better than anyone else. So when we have that sense of hope, I think it's really easy for us to say, okay, yeah, let, let me, let me learn, discover and apply my strengths so I can bring to my sphere of influence, something that nobody else can. Wow. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. One out of 33 million have the same top five. Yeah. And Ryan, do our strengths change over time? So yeah, great question. So we get that a lot and people do like to take, especially people like <laughs> to take the Clifton Strengths Finder multiple times, especially, I was, yeah, I was thinking especially about yeah, for us who are like psychology junkies. Yeah. We're curious about that. 
what we've what we found is maybe after a life event they can they can the order of our top five or top 10 can kind of change but the beautiful thing about the assessment is that it it draws on really some innate characteristics that we really can't we can't or just don't change throughout our lifetime so so you might find the order to be different uh kind of different from you know time one to time two but um yeah, the beautiful thing is it doesn't change a whole lot. Okay, well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it was really interesting. I, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the DISC personality assessment. Yeah, oh yeah. A lot of leaders use that in healthcare too. And I first took that a couple of years ago before I started working with Dr. Co as a baseline assessment. And then I took it again, like maybe six months ago and my categories had changed actually in okay. my leadership style, but it makes sense because I was really learning a lot more about being more of a well-balanced leader in, in the training. And so, but now I understand that with a Gallup, it's more of, um, your inner, you know, talent and, um, characteristics of your personality too, as well. Yeah. 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 And, and for those who are really interested in assessments, which, you know, I'll, I'll raise my hand and, and, and claim to be part of that group. We have a lot of, uh, we have just a thorough, I'll, I'll say a thorough explanation of how Clifton Strengths differs from things like DISC to Myers-Briggs to VIA character strengths okay. on our website. So feel free to check that out. You know, we don't hide from the fact that there's other great assessments out there. And certainly those can be kind of used in tandem to to further help kind of entrench and understand our strengths and how we can apply them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and for all of you, we'll include all this information in our posting and social media, as well as on Ryan's bio page. Um, so I have another question, Ryan. You know, we talked earlier about how you work with well-being professionals to really create more engagement in the workplace. And they're about, you said, mentioned there were 12 elements that you teach. Yeah. Can you review those for us? You bet. So, so employee engagement, and I, I, I've got a, I've got a list of the 12 and it might be boring if I just read them through. So maybe I can kind of explain them in a, in a, in a more illustrative way, but employee engagement, if, if anyone is unfamiliar with it, it's, um, because when we say engagement, I, I think a lot of times we interpret it in our own way that we kind of think what engagement means. And um, sometimes engagement means participation, like did you engage in, a, in an initiative? But how we think about engagement is um, we think about it as an employee's kind of their psychological commitment and their enthusiasm for their work and for their workplace and for their organization and for their manager and their leadership. So that's kind of how we identify it. The 12 elements were kind of, again, developed through a large research study. This one was kind of led by Tom Rath. Uh, and um, I guess it was, it was, it was led by Jim Harder, pardon me, in the, in the 1990s. Okay. And again, this this was um, this was a study to that was um, where, where the recipients, or I guess the um, the participants in the research, were were asked several questions about kind of workplace scenarios and, and asked to rate them on a on a one to five scale, and they were asked hundreds of questions, 
and to to rate the strength of of of, each, of how how much they agreed or disagreed with each question and they were asked again um to the participants were highly successful individuals within highly success, successful teams and organizations and there's kind of foundational elements of of engagement and then there's more kind of top of pyramid uh, elements of engagement if you will so at the very foundational level the first uh, level of, or the first element of of engagement is knowing what's expected of you at work so right now only about 50 percent of uh, united states employees can give this a five out of five that i know what's expected of me at work yes expectations and roles are are generally not really that clarified. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that, I just find that fascinating still. We find that one out of three employees are what we consider engaged. And then there's about one out of 20 who are actively disengaged. And then the middle is is the bigger group and those are just not engaged. So, um. So yeah, that's that's um we have all this data as well just on on the Gallup website. So please feel free to check it out. And Katie, I can I can connect you with kind of the best links to identify some some of these data points that that I'm mentioning. But yeah, so knowing what's expected of me at work is 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 the most foundational element. The next one is I have the materials and equipment that I need to do my work right. This is again about 50% who can give this a strong, uh, that five out of five, I strongly agree with this statement. We found that interestingly, this, uh, when we were kind of during the kind of the onset of the pandemic, we really took a, we, we evaluated engagement more frequently than, than we do kind of in a traditional year. And we found that this number really dropped early on in the pandemic. So when you think about when a lot of leaders and, and really individual contributors had to go home and kind of operate remotely or through Zoom when we weren't upskilled and properly trained on how to conduct our, our work through a re remote environment, this number really dropped and uh, it's back up to 50% now, which, which wow. is not not aspirational, but <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of just that base of the pyramid. And, and again, this is, these are things that can be found um, on our website as well. So I encourage, encourage you to check that out. Um, Absolutely. Online. If you can send me the link, I'll mm -hmm. include that too in, in, on the bio page and posting. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So next elements, I can kind of run through them a little bit more quickly here at work. I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. So that kind of, if, if you look and decipher that question, it's all about strengths, natural tendencies to do what I do best. So we're kind of evaluating there. Are you able to use your strengths in a, in a productive way? Next one is in the last seven days, I've, re I've received recognition or praised for doing good work. Mm. And then next, my supervisor or someone at work seems to care about me as a person. So this is a super interesting one where we found this is really kind of asking about well-being. Does somebody care about, you know, my my well-being and who I am as as a person, not just a a, a, a productive employee? 
Uh, we've we've got great data how, how on how this question has really waxed and waned throughout the uh, the onset of COVID and and to where we are now. Um, next one is this is Q number six, so we're halfway through here. There's someone at work who it, who encourages my development, and then we get to the kind of the top half of the period pyramid. Uh, at work, my opinions seem to count. The mission or purpose of my organization makes me feel my job's important. My my fellow employees are committed to doing quality work. Okay. Next next one next one is Q Q10 here. I have a best friend at work. This is the one. This is the <laughs> one that um that we'll say gets the most eyebrow raises when we talk about it. But um, this is one where. So, so again, just remember that this this was a statistically significant five out of five for those in uh, when we conducted the original research in uh, the most successful roles within the most successful teams inside the most su successful organizations. Um, she sells seashores by seashells by the seashore. <laughs> that was that was a mouthful, Ryan. Yeah, it was. So let me just so first yeah. of all, I'm laughing out loud. And physicians and nurses, please forgive me. See lead healthcare leaders, please forgive me. But I'm laughing because every one of them you've mentioned is absent in healthcare, except for quality of work. We work with nurses and doctors every day on the front line that care about the quality of work. But when it comes to all the other stuff you mentioned on the pyramid, I was laughing. I'm like, I don't have that. I'm on the front line right now and I don't have any of that. And then, we, <laughs> then it was, the best friend was like, what? Yeah. So <laughs> that would be ideal, but yes. mm -hmm. there's so much change right now and everything, so much stress at work that we don't have time to talk and connect with people at work. We show up mm -hmm. as doctors and we're just in it and then we leave because we're exhausted. So uh, I'm really glad you brought this up because- I think this is definitely foundational for us if we want to consider pivoting healthcare in how mm -hmm. we deal with every day. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that you're just so transparent about it. And I think people are about this question because yeah. it's, I think it's, it's safe and we should be transparent. Like if you don't have a best friend at work, just own it and let's talk about it. Um, and let's move back down the pyramid and, and to the foundations of engagement before we tackle this <laughs> this one that raises eyebrows. But that but all that being said, we have a ton of great data on those who can give this a five and um and how it correlates to some really important business outcomes, things like productivity, profitability, safety incidences. If you have a best friend at work, there's someone who there's someone who you can comfortably talk to about things that are that are important to you that you maybe couldn't bring up to your boss or another co-employee. So you have this like person who you can I don't know maybe you can vent to or you can just share that um, what's really important to you that's not safe to share with someone else. It, it can kind of feel like a touchy feely type of question, but we actually find that even in our boots on the ground, industrial workers who, um, you know, who are out there uh, creating skyscrapers and, and fixing power lines and can give this a five um, because mm -hmm. their, their best friend is 
literally saving their lives through safety procedures, then um, it can kind of make sense and make light bulbs go off. But I'd say let's start at the base and work our way up. Um, if you're just new to employee engagement and kind of getting started on it. Well, thank you, Ryan. And I, and my two cents on this is foundationally for healthcare, we need to understand our, our roles and expectations. They need to be realistic. And the second one is if we have the equipment and resources available, that's, that goes along with human factor ergonomics. And we're really looking at that in healthcare as well. And, you know, right now, I think everyone is tapped out with their cognitive load, including even healthcare leaders today. So really going back to the basics and looking at, even at using human factor ergonomics as a model to revamp how we operate on a daily basis would make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I love it. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you for reviewing that. And it definitely, you know, we, we talked a little bit how I wanted a little bit of a roadmap today of what a healthy work environment would look like and, and what, what can happen. And I'm really glad that you reviewed the pyramid for us. Can you give us an example of how, I'm curious how Gallup actually creates a well-being space for all of its um, employees? Yeah. Okay, so so that's great. I um before I just don't want to be remiss. There are two other elements I didn't mention. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, sorry. And it, it it's um first one is that someone has talked to me about my progress in the last six months, okay. and then in the last year I've had opportunities to uh, at work to learn and grow. So, how do we create um, kind of organizational well being mm -hmm. at Gallup? And then how do we then um, kind of preach what we practice? Um, it really, I, I think it very simply put, we, we, have, uh, we have a great wellness and well-being uh, internal program that is full of a lot of traditional things that we know a lot of people need. Things like stress reduction initiatives, you know, in, um, tobacco cessation. Uh, we've got on-site fitness center. We've got you know exercise reimbursement. A lot of those perks and programs and policies that that we know, kind of the modern day workforce will say, kind of has come to expect or has come to learn that is supportive for their physical health and and mental health and well-being. But there's this other before. We, before we over rely on policies and perks and programs, we make sure that there is a, a manager who really truly cares about people and is highly trained, as well as a competent, kind of, I guess, innately competent at leading people. So, so really kind of comes down to it's the manager, which is the name of another Gallup book. Um, this this was kind of the, it might have been about 2018 or 19. Again, um, Jim Harder, as well as Jim Clifton, which is uh, really kind of comes down to uh, it, in order for organizational well-being to really flourish, we need the direct manager to actually care and to support the well-being of direct reports. Otherwise, 
um, the, the policies, perks, and programs can just kind of live out there and be un uninhabited and unutilized and and not engage with, as a lot of wellness professionals like to say. So, um, so yeah. So manager training, upskilling, is is a big part of that. We selection of managers is also important. We find that one out of ten people are a good natural fit to be a leader of other people. Two out of ten, an additional two out of ten, have maybe enough natural tendency to be a good manager, but they need extra training and upskilling. Mm -hmm. So really about three out of 10 people are a good natural fit or can be upskilled to be an effective manager. That's a pretty small percentage, we'll say. But what's broken in a lot of workplaces and 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 institutions and, and healthcare um, systems is that in order to grow within the organization kind of the only way to do that or one of the only ways to do that is to become a manager mm -hmm. so if i'm a great salesperson the the only way i can really improve if i have a kind of max out all that i can sell is to become the sales manager and that's a tough task and just hang with me here because i just i jump from medical to sales but that's a tough task to ask a, a thriving salesperson to do because um, those those um, kind of competencies are a lot different to be able to sell versus to be able to manage. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. And it's very similar for physicians. I mean, a lot of times we're asked to come into a leadership role and there is no training. It's just, oh, today you're a medical director and you're like, okay, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, you're, I'm glad that you, you brought this up where it's really interesting that one out of 10 can be a great manager and two on the innately, right. And then two out of 10 people also have, can be a good manager, but they need a little bit of additional training and upscaling. Mm -hmm. So three out of 10 people in general have the ability to manage versus seven out of 10 are better off in their role. Mm -hmm. not being in yeah. Position. yeah. So if you find yourself in that you know, leading people role and it's the hardest part of your job. That's common. It's okay. Um, it's just, it's important to know that and, and to kind of identify, you know, other leaders who could, who are really just blessed with the ability to, to do that. And they can potentially become what, you know, the label middle manager is not a good one, but can become a more of a direct report and then kind of report up to an executive. Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to get, like, give advice on organizational structure, but that's just that's just um, a, a small piece to, to be thinking about. I think it is so important though, when we think, when we think about how to help um, organizations and people within organizations thrive in their well-being, it does come down to structure and environment and not just those Say it again, policies, perks, and programs. Yep, absolutely. Um, well, so everyone, I, you know, I, well, I guess I have one more question, Ryan. So do, how can people get in touch with you or if there's healthcare systems listening to and they would like to do maybe strength finder testing for their leadership mm -hmm. team, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or Gallup? 
Yeah, that's great. You can feel free to reach out to me. My, you can, you know, provide my email address, Katie. You can find me on LinkedIn. Love to love to participate in, in LinkedIn and and um, kind of stay in tune there. So feel free to reach out either of those ways. Okay, great. And if there are physicians, nurses listening that want to do the Gallup Strength Finder test, what's the mm -hmm. best way for them to access that and to get some coaching on their strengths? Right. That's great. So we can provide, I can provide that link for you. You can Google Clifton Strengths Finder. <clears throat> take the assessment, takes about 20 minutes. Um, I, I always like to say, you know, take it as if your life depends on it, because it really does. And just give it your full attention. And it can do, you know, it, it manifests in some really powerful to do's and, and, and ways that you can kind of think about how you are operating within work and life differently. I love that. And for everyone listening to, um, this is a new book that came out from Gallup, Wellbeing at Work, and I will post a link on this. And Ryan had a hand. He was one of the contributors for the novel. So I wanted to make sure I did a shout out for this amazing book. It goes into detail on change management and what's required, you know, to create a well-being environment. And there's a lot of data and measurements and statistics as well in this book. So um, there's a lot of evidence and decades and decades of research that goes into what we've talked about today. Um, well, Ryan, I just want to thank you so much for being here today. And is there anything else that you wanted to add before we close up? You know, thank you, Katie. I appreciate it. I think what you're doing is is so important. We know that uh, there there's just incredibly challenging work environments within the healthcare space. So I just want to honor that and you know recognize the really good, the really significant and essential work that that people are doing and kind of overseeing. Mm -hmm. So I just I just want to. I think I could just close by just recognizing. Um, just how important that is. And, and, and we, we recognize that as well. And we have, you know, we, we have a lot of professionals who work directly with those who are in the healthcare space and the, the research that we've done on it is, is unique and super interesting. So feel free to check out those articles as well. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to either one of us. Ryan, again, will have his own bio page on my website with all the links as well. Um, we hope that you have a happy new year and I look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. <laughs> thank you, everyone.